Offenders police calling all cars, attention all cars, a bank robbery at 1522 Santa Fe Avenue. Suspects escape in a Buick touring car. License unknown. That's all. Rose and present. Listen intently. 
Let this thrilling story impress you that it is your job as a citizen to cooperate with your police department in order that its routine work can be made easier and that it can concentrate upon the great forces of evil. Professor Lindsley will go on with the story. It is the middle of August, 1925. Four men are seated in a stuffy day coat as the Chicago Limited clanks across the yard and slowly rattles over the siding onto Alameda Street. Yeah, fellas, it won't be long now. Let's kill the rest of this bottle before we put into the people. Hey, what's the matter, buddy? You better lay off of that stuff. That ain't a scoop. You're telling me? You know, this is the last bottle of the good Chicago bootleg left in the outfit. If we get into L.A. on this short, though, we'll all have to drink that 75-cent a pint poison they settled out there. Oh, yeah? Let me tell you something. Anytime this baby drinks bum liquor with all them juicy bangs in Los Angeles waiting to be bumped, you're crazy. You're telling me. Now, listen, you guys. Don't get her too ambitious. Remember, we're here to get her the door to spring at three fingers apiece. And the sooner we do it, the quicker peach she's going to be out in the open air again. Yeah, but why did we pick on Los Angeles? This ain't any town. The United States with banks in it. You're telling me that, Rudy? But I'm going to tell you something. We ain't in any no good standing back in the shy, see? After that holdup at the Lennox Hotel. And this suburb ain't nothing but overgrowing a village with a bunch of them moving the picture cops. Ah, it's going to be a pipe. Yeah? So you think the L.A. cops is easy, huh? Sure they're easy. They ain't never bucked up against any real guys like us from the East. It's going to be like a taking a candy from a kid. The Chicago boys work fast. In two days, they have staked out the job they intend to pull, and they have also acquired some lady friends. The next night finds them entertaining their companions in a chop suey parlor. Well, how you doing, babe? Oh, I think I'm going to live. Hey, call Fu Manchu over, will you? I want some more mustard. Sure thing. Bertie Hyman never refused a good-looking dame nothing. Hey! Hey! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's your, what's your mother? Maybe so. You, you like something? Maybe so? Yeah. Another order of mushrooms for the lady. Uh, bring another bottle of ginger ale, will you? Yeah, and put up this stick again with cracked eyes. Say, haven't you got any music in this stuff? Oh, oh, yeah. You, you like your music? You, Tommy, we can see very fine, uh, number one in first class, uh, playing piano. You put it in a nickel? Music, here, come here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you are a dumb 
Angeline's car. Come on, you better dance when you can. She can't be here all night. She thinks we got an important date tomorrow without strangers. <laughs> It is 11 o'clock on the morning of August 22, 1925. The Hellman Bank on Santa Fe Avenue is humming with mid-morning activity. How many ones did you say, Mrs. Sawyer? Ten, please, and the rest in five. Right. One, two, three, four. Oh, why? Why, what's the matter? Oh! Give your hands up. Are you close if you want to live? They came away from those alarm buttons. Pick up, four of them. You can't get away with this, my man. Why, the idea in broad daylight. Just come off. Whiskers or I'll plug you as an example. All right, now, don't start a shooting for your half or two, Rudy. Now, come on. All of you guys are behind the counter. You'll get into the safe. Now, come on and step out or I'll burn you down. Now, Bertie, you'll get into those customers down on the floor. And you, you pick up with the dough. Okay. Down on the floor, all of them. Me, too. Yes, you too. Hey, you Dan the brown suit, don't you try to pull nothing. Flat on the floor, all of you. All right, Dad. You'll give your guns on the rest of them, huh? Oh, don't shoot. Don't point that gun at me. I'm going to fix All right. You'll do anything but shut your mouth. Hey, buddy, is that at the door? Yeah, I got everything that was loose. Now we're leaving. Everybody stay put till we get out of the door or we'll blast you. Come on, guys. All right. All right, the pilot. I'm going to take the wheel. What'd I tell you? Just the lucky bag and the candy from a kid. <laughs> the bank robbers pile into a large black touring car waiting for them outside, motor running. The driver presses the accelerator to the board and the powerful car leaps out into the stream of traffic on Santa Fe Avenue. A second later, one of the officials of the bank commandeers another car and follows in mad pursuit. Several blocks away at Santa Fe and 8, Officer Oscar Bayer, seated on his motorcycle, passes the time of day with a friend. What are you doing during this end of town, Oscar? Nothing ever happens down here and the traffic's too dense for speeding. Yeah, I get you right, Mac, but orders are orders. I sure wish something would happen to break for the monotony, though. Will you get your race, lad? Look at that madman weaving through the traffic. Huh? He's as good as got a ticket right now. Well, you better hurry. That bird's moving. I'll get him with a traffic signal. And there's another one. Go get him, Oscar. Just watch me. The police motorcycle slices ahead of the pursuer's car. Leading in and out of the dense traffic, Oscar Bear streaks down Santa Fe Avenue after the fiend bandit. The black outlaw seven feet on two wheels. Bear fifty yards behind him. As the officer unlimited his automatic as the robber's tires, two gun barrels are first suddenly to the rear window of the black car, and something hard and hot hits Bear on the chest. The speeding motor squares dangerously. Bear straightens it, trips out his service revolver. The bandits return the fire. Bear zigzags in an attempt to throw off the bandit's aim. On down 7th Street, the gun battle waited at 50 miles an hour. Roaring past intersections, Bear shouts to traffic policemen who hastily come at their passing cars and join in the chase. Bear empties his gun. And jamming it under his left arm, he reloads it with his right hand while he steers to the left. The bandit's car is momentarily halted by construction work for Tail Street. The man who runs out from the street to warn them around the barriers receives a bullet through his hat. At San Pedro Street, 
thick stream of traffic going in the opposite direction draws the bandits up short in the stoplight. Traffic officer Wiley E. Smith, attracted by bears screaming sirens, turns around as the bandit car comes to a screeching stop. Before Bear can shout a warning to him, a shotgun spits death from the bandit car. Smith sways, drops to the ground, then painfully climbs to his knees, trips out his gun, and starts firing at the bandits as Bear joins him, his revolver spitting fire into the black touring car. Motorists, waiting at the stoplight, hastily scramble to the bottom of their car. Bear, blind with pain, sickened from the bullets his body has stopped, and the dying Smith are joined by four other officers who come up on the commandeered car. As Bayer steps from the cover of a parked car for a moment, one of the gunmen jumping to the black automobile aims at him. The guns of three of the policemen snuff out the Two more bandits jump from the car and streak for a nearby parking station. The officers cut off the escape of the fourth robber and order him to surrender. Stop that gun, mister. You're all washed up. That's telling you, though. You got him in the arm, will you? Yeah, let's get the cuffs on him. Hey, you ain't got him yet, this dirty... Nothing like a gun, Dr. Quietum. I'll have to put the cuffs on her. Yeah. Here comes Stevenson. The last thing I saw of him is after those other two guys. How'd you make out, Stevenson? They got away. I hung on to them until I ran out of ammunition. Say, there. You're hit. Yeah. Well, I'm still on my feet, and something tells me I'm going to stay there till we get this bird to the station. Here comes the ambulance now. There. You better get in, too. No, sir. I'm going to the hospital under my own power. $15,000 is found in a bullet-riddled satchel in the bandit's car as a private automobile carries Officer Smith to the hospital. And the ambulance rushes the wounded bandit to medical help. Inspector Finlinson, attempting to get coherent statements of the case from the excited officers, meets Oscar Bayer in the hospital corridor. Oh, here you are, Bayer. I've been looking every place for you. Oh, I've been right here, Inspector. I'm waiting for word about Wiley. Have you heard anything? He's pretty bad, Oscar. Shot through the lung. He's losing blood fast. Oh, poor Wiley. He's pretty rat him down in cold blood. How's the guy we brought in? Never mind him. I want to know how you are. Oh, I'm okay. I just got a few little scratches. You should have reported to the doctor before this. Oh, I'm all right, Inspector, honestly. Well, I want the doctor's assurance of that. Yeah, but it's silly, sir. It doesn't look silly from the size of that blood stain on your side. Where? Oh, that. I hadn't noticed that before. All right, that settles it. You're seeing the doctor with me right now. Come on. He's in here. Here's the bear, doctor. He seems to think he's a human target. Look him over, will you? Certainly. All right, young man. Right over here. Flip your uniform off. Yes, sir. Oh! Just a scratch, uh, bear. Here. Let me see, bear. Here. Let me help you, boy. Oh! There we are. Hmm. Now let's get a look at you. Well, young fellow, you must have been born under a lucky star. What do you mean? One bullet headed for your heart was stopped by your badge. Look at this. Hmm. And another, because it could have killed you, is embedded in your notebook here. See that? Yeah, that, that was close. You know, I, I remember now feeling that hit me. It sort of knocked the wind out of me for a moment. Now, let me see. One, two, three flesh wounds. I'll get a dressing on them. Are they serious, Doctor? No, but it's certainly a miracle that they only think the flesh... Any one of them would have killed him if they'd have been an inch nearer the center of his body. Well, there you are, Doctor. I can't get rid of me. Only the good die young. <laughs> doctor, while you're bandaging Bear, I want to talk to this wounded man. That is, if he's well enough to talk. Yes, I think he... I think it'll be all right, Inspector. He's in the next room, right through that door. Thanks. And, Doctor, 
See, the bear here does what you tell him. If you don't make him go to bed, he'll be out riding his beast this afternoon. <laughs> well, don't worry. I'll see that that doesn't happen. Well, young fellow, how are you? What's it to you? Who are you, anyhow? Who do you suppose? A uh, dick. Well, yes, that is a police officer. Yeah? Well, what do you want? What's your name? Oh, uh, Smith. John Smith. Rather unusual name, isn't it? Oh, don't make a smart attack to cop. What do you want? Well, I want to find out who your partners were and your little deal this morning. Mama don't know. You don't know, eh? That's what I say. I'm only met him in the first of the square yesterday. I don't know what he's doing. Very, very interesting. Oh, yeah? Well, that's to the fact. They make a date to meet me this morning near the bank. I don't know that he was going to make him stick up until she's happened. You ought to be a little more careful about the companions you take. They may get you into trouble sometime. Oh, uh, yeah. You're the wise guy, aren't you? Huh? Three means to be seen. But I can tell you this, John Smith. Our fingerprint man will be over here in a half hour, and it won't be long until we find out just how wise a guy you are. Fingerprinting of the dead bandit and his wounded companion identify them as Rudolph Slanter and Anthony Caspar, respectively. Both had served time in the Illinois State Penitentiary at Joliet for bank robbery. And Rudolph Slanter had also served four other sentences. The warden of Joliet Prison furnishes complete criminal records of both men. And in addition, sends the Los Angeles Police Department fingerprints and photographs of Ed Francis, brother of the dead bandit. A checkup of the acquaintances of the gang brings the two short-time lady friends of the men into the investigation. We understand you girls were acquainted with Ed and Rudolph Franca and Tony Casper. Hmm? Uh, we never heard of them. Well, they may have given you different names. Here are the pictures. You recognize them? You can speak freely. All we want is an identification. We haven't got anything on you. You're damn right you haven't. Well, do they look like anyone you ever saw before? Mm. Sure, we was out with them one night. Yeah. You know, see, they treated us all right. Sure they did. But I'm not going to get into any jam on a ton of them. Well, go on. Well, we was out with them. They said they were from Chicago, and they were going to pull a big job the next day. Was that the day the Hellman Bank was robbed? Yeah, I guess it was. Say, that's right, Ella. Remember one of them made a crack about having a date with his banker the next morning? I don't know anything about it. I'm through with you. Throwing your guts to a cop. You got us all wrong, sister. All we want is a corroborative identification. Well, I don't care what you want. You're a copper, and you ain't going to get nothing out of me. With his record from Joliet and the further identification of his girlfriend, Caspar admits his participation in the robbery, but refuses to give any information regarding the two missing bandits. Pictures and fingerprints of Ed Planter are printed by the thousands and sent to every police station and sheriff's office in the United States. More than two months passed. And then one November afternoon at the busy corner of the loop in Chicago, patrolman Frank Griffin, off-duty and in plain clothes, recognizes a man answering the description of Ed Planter talking to two other men. As Griffin approaches the group, 
The two men flee. But Franta reaches for a gun in his hip pocket. Griffin seizes Franta, pinning his arms to his body. Don't be a tap, Franta. Look at that crowd. Don't start anything. Well, what's the big idea? Quiet, listen. They want to talk to you down at headquarters. If you come along quietly, I won't handcuff you. Yeah, but I... If you raise hell, they'll try to get away. This crowd may be tougher on you than I'll be. Well, okay. Come on, then. Now, tell me, Griffin, what the big idea is. Nothing much. Only the captain wants to talk to you. What about? A bank robbery in Los Angeles. Los Angeles? I've never been in Los Angeles. Well, you can explain all that to the captain. I'm through with you when I get you down to headquarters. Yeah, how come you're in plain clothes, Griffin? You was in harness a couple of days ago. Yeah, well, I... I got promoted. Yeah? Sure. Can you get on the inside now, huh? Yeah, that's right. There's your pal Shields on the corner. <laughs> He's still in the harness. Yeah, but you'll get a break, too, one of these days. Hello, Frank. Who's your pal? Joe, this fellow's wanted for murder. There's a gun in his pocket. Get it. Okay. Now, I'll lie you, though. Give me the bracelet, Joe. Hey, what's the... <laughs> now, Ed, I'm still a harness bull, but I happen to be off duty right now and without a gun. Good job, Frank. I got the SOS you flashed with your eyes. Boy, was I nervous. I thought I'd never run into anybody. Well, I'll be a platoon here. I could have got away all the time. Oscar Bayer, now promoted to the detective force, accompanies Captain James Bean to Chicago. And the two officers bring Edward Franta back to Los Angeles to face trial on charges of first-degree murder and robbery. In December 1925, Caspar, now sufficiently recovered from his wounds, and Franta go on trial before a jury of 12 women, the first all-female jury in the history of California. For 83 hours, the ladies of the jury argue the case, 11 standing for hanging and 12, and the 12th set upon for acquittal. Finally, at a few minutes before 12 on New Year's Eve, they compromise on life in prison. With New Year's bells ringing and whistles screeching, the jury returns its verdict. The attorney for the defense leads to his seat. Your Honor, this is a miscarriage of justice. I will appeal this decision. I wish you would. I believe that a second trial will result in these men getting what they actually deserve. They should be sentenced to hang. Well, uh, in that case, will the court permit me a moment to speak to my client? Yes, certainly. Your Honor, upon further consideration, I and my clients are prepared to accept the verdict of the jury and the sentence of the court. Shortly afterwards, Ed Franta and Tony Caspar are en route to Folsom Prison. The fourth bandit was never apprehended, but police vigilance has not relaxed in the search for him. Oscar Bayer, in reward for his bravery, received a citation from Chief Davis, a promotion to the Detective Bureau, and a share of a $2,300 reward given by the Hellman Bank and the California Bankers Association. This brave officer who had escaped death many times before he foiled the bank robbers, who had battled with German U-boats in the English Channel during the war, was a member of the Pursuit Squadron 478 of the Army Reserve Force. 
having learned to pilot an airplane following the war. He sold the first ship he owned, an old Jenny, to a boy in Alhambra, who killed himself crashing into high-tension wires. Bayer's second ship ran out of gas over the downtown police station and crashed at Vermont and Third. Bayer escaped with a few scratches. Unafraid, Bayer buys a monocoupe. And one bright, sunshiny day in 1929, he takes off from Rogers Airport, accompanied by officer's passenger, for a short hop to Clover Field in Santa Monica. A few minutes later, the glistening red ship drops on the Clover Field in a perfect three-point landing. And Bayer is greeted by a friend whom he has been teaching to fly. Hello, Johnson. Hello, Oscar. Well, days are fine, huh? Yeah. You know my pal, Pussinger? Oh, all right. Well, what about it, Johnson? You want to take another lesson? Sure. You know, Pussinger, this guy can teach me more about handling a stick in five minutes than any of these other birds can in a day. Yeah, Oscar knows his stuff, all right. Come on, you guys. This battery's going to my head. Come on, let's go, Johnson. Okay. So long, Puss. Be back in a little while. Okay, Oscar. So long. Mechanical red bird skims across the green of the airdrome, sees the top of the glass, and falls toward the heavens. Hurtling effortlessly, it is soon a thousand feet in the air. Below lies the panorama of Southern California, a glimmering jewel in the noonday sun. The mountains to the east, the desert beyond shimmering in the east. Below the matchless blue of Santa Monica Bay, half circled by the throbbing white scallop of the beach. Toward the west, the mysterious peaks of the Channel Islands. A day to dream. A day to soar. A shout goes up from the field. The monocoop falters in its flight. Turns over. Walks into a spin. Hurtles earthward. Down. Down. Gasoline with tetraethyl. 
This is the gasoline that delivers millions of miles of dependable service to police cars, fire engines, and other emergency equipment here in the great southwest. If you want the truth about your car, Rio Grande Cracked will tell you whether you need repairs or a change in gasoline. Next time you need oil, why not try Sinclair Opaline? This splendid oil is extra refined, giving longer life. Also, it is sold only in tamper-proof extra major cans. It sells for only 25 cents. For a better oil, at the price of cheap bulk oil, insist on Sinclair Opaline. Rick Lindsley saying good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company. <laughs>